Welcome to Living with a Disability, No Big Deal. This podcast is for people who want to learn how to thrive with a disability. It is also designed to share insights for those who have friends or family with a disability. Brad Gabrielson, our host, was born with cerebral palsy and uses a wheelchair for mobility. He is a North Dakota native and believes life is about managing challenges with understanding, mental toughness, and determination. Another episode of Living with a Disability, no big deal podcast. This is Brad Gabrielson. Uh, my guest today is the one known as Greg Mall. How are you doing, Greg? Doing well, Brad. How are you? You said something about uh, service dogs and veterans, huh? Yeah, and, and people with the disability, yes. Oh, and so, people with disabilities. Okay. Yeah, um, so it was the whole gamut. Well, you have some experience, do you not, with, uh, with service dogs and uh, disa- disability? Because, number one, I guess you'd be considered disabled. Um, and we kind of went over this before. You know, it's probably not the best word to use, disabled, but uh, differently abled because of your cerebral palsy, born with it, lived with it all your life. Right. But not, not only that, but... Uh, why don't you tell the folks before we begin, and we're going to get into this uh, this article that uh, I guess Fox News did an interview and posted an article about this uh, service dogs and veterans. But um, why don't you get into a little bit of uh, background that you have as far as service dogs go? What a service dog is? What's the difference between a service dog and, say, a therapy dog that goes into hospitals and, and things like that? Well, um, I, I didn't know with um, service dogs for a while. I mean, I started at, at school back in the uh, late 80s um, in Jet, North Dakota. And, uh, and so with my service dog, Bo, I um, got born in Columbus, Ohio. And um, um, he he was able to pick things up for me that I would drop, like pop cans, you know, and pull a pop without going through the aluminum, pick up change and stuff like that off the floor, open doors, turn on lights, different things like that. So they can perform uh, a lot of activities. Now, do those activities typically catering to the type of individual that needs certain types of activities or how does that work? Yes, uh, it all depends upon the, dis- the disability and it also, also depends upon, uh, you know, you have, to, you have to go down to uh, the training facility uh, so the dog is used, used to the um, recipient, and uh, it takes about 10 to 14 days to do that. And uh, they had to turn uh, my service dog bow around instead of the left side, where most dogs are, you know, used to be when they heal, they heal on the left side. Uh, we, we had to turn around because I was right handed, so that took me a while. 
Now, I have an idea, but why, why, why is it that you say that, uh, that dogs are trained to heal on the left side? Well, 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 what I've known, oh, most of, most of the time they go on the left side. I don't know why, but that's what I know. I could be wrong with that, but that's, that's the way it was with the bow. Well, I, pretty much the reason that I believe they do it is because when you're out hunting, your dog is on the left because your gun is usually in your right hand, except for one out of 10 hunters who may be left-handed. So you always want the dog on the opposite side of where you're going to raise and shoot. Yeah. I think that's probably it. I don't know for sure. Yeah. Um, well, again, before we get into this uh, service dogs and uh, disabled veterans, um, what uh, what is the difference uh, between a service dog and say a therapy dog that might go from hospital to hospital and play with kids and whatever? Oh, a service dog they do tasks. Um, I'm not and um, therapy dogs. I I just they go out there to to make make the patient um comfortable if they go into physical therapy so they take their mind off the the pain or whatever when the dog is there, you know. So um so if I but, if I took a therapy dog and, and told and taught it how to turn lights on, then now I have a service dog automatically or no, no, no. Well, that um, what's that? What's the difference? Is what I'm asking technically. Um, technically, they, they they have the same rights as the service dogs. Okay, as far as going into places, but primarily, um, they're there to. The way I would describe it is they're there to uh, make. Uh, make it easier for the, for the kids that are in the hospital or clinic and having a hard time physical therapy they bring them in to make them uh, feel more at ease because the dogs can make them uh, relax and you know you know what I mean so I don't know maybe that's the wrong description but that's what that's the way I, I see it because I know the service dog has a lot more tasks to do. So how much is a service dog to get a service dog? What's the cost? Depends upon anywhere from anywhere from thirty five to forty thousand I heard. So price is the same for a service dog and therapy dog. It's just that one does tasks, one doesn't. I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if a service dog is even that much. I mean I think a, I think a therapy dog could be a, it's cheaper. I think so. I know the the through animal that opens doors and turns on lights and stuff like that is a little more dependent upon what they have to do for the client. So a therapy dog will cost you twenty five thousand, and it doesn't really do any 
tasks? Well, um, can any dog be a therapy dog? There isn't any, as long as you have a doctor's note. Well, that no, I think, I think, well, that, that, no. Nowadays, anybody can throw a bass down and call them therapy dog, but they should go through a little bit of training, especially obedience training. But to get a uh, therapy dog, to be classified as a therapy dog, doesn't it have to have some kind of accreditation of some kind? Yeah, it should should go through a training school. Okay. So that would be different from, say, like a companion dog or a dog that a doctor would write a note in so somebody can get a dog where otherwise they wouldn't be able to get one to stay in their apartment built complex, for example. Right, right. And so that is that called a companion dog then? Yeah, yeah, a companion dog. Yeah, that's for their mental, that's for their mental. Uh, okay, mental condition yeah. or yeah, whatever they have. Yeah, I don't want to be wrong. Well, let's just go ahead and see what the difference is. is according to, uh, it seems you're a little unsure of yourself. Uh, you know, we don't want to deceive or otherwise, uh, you know, disinformationize the uh, listening audience. Uh, difference between a, uh, you know, a service dog and a, you know, a therapy dog. And, uh, I mean, you had a service dog, and so you know a lot of those things. Uh, you know, there's an uh, emotional support animal certificate, in other words, um, that would be uh, that would be a little different, you know, a, a, an emotional support animal, uh, if you qualify. Uh says here therapy dogs are not the same which you said so you were right there are not the same as service dogs and emotional support dogs and as such do not have the same rights uh let's see what it says here are they able to get on airplanes and stuff or not the therapy dogs well, essentially, a, a therapy dog uh, provides a form of therapy, right, for other people. Um, yeah. Typically, their owners volunteer in settings that are like schools, hospitals, nursing homes, uh, different types of organizations like that. Uh, whereas crisis dogs will only be present at natural and man-made crisis to offer support. So in other words, you can have a therapy dog but then you have a crisis dog, which is like brought in for serious incidents where, you know, uh, you know, severe tornadoes in Oklahoma would be a, uh, like a crisis dog, a therapy dog type situation. Um, another example would be like the, uh, the kind hearted therapy dogs were brought in to comfort uh, those in uh, at the West Columbia disaster recovery after the flooding, but essentially therapy dogs are not the same as service dogs and uh, therapy dogs go through training. Like you said, right. To become certified. Uh, 
actually the trainer will uh, will try for the AKC, which is the American Kennel uh, something title. Emotional support dogs, which are, we talked about just to clarify, are emotional support dogs. In reality, really any animal can be an emotional support animal, but let's focus on dogs. Emotional support dogs, like it says, Brad, provide what? Comfort and support in the form of affection and companionship for any individual suffering from mental or emotional condition. So you hit it when you said uh, emotional anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, mood disorder, panic attacks, post PTSD, suicidal thoughts and tendencies. Um, now those dogs need to be prescribed to an individual by a doctor or a mental health uh, professional uh, for a condition that would otherwise keep the individual performing daily tasks. Now, um, as far as the law concerned, Brad, an emotional support dog is not a pet. They are viewed as a companion animal that provide therapeutic benefits. Okay. What does all that mean? It means that someone has a need who has to need, someone has to need emotional support dog for a verifiable disability, as opposed to simply wanting a dog for companionship. Okay. Now, I personally know somebody who had to, to get an emotional support animal and their living uh, environment did not allow that. But under the Fair Housing Act, emotional support dogs classify as reasonable accommodation. What's reasonable accommodation? Well, that means that they must be allowed residence in quote, no pet buildings. Okay. Um, however, that act, does not allow for uh, ESAs or emotional support animals to accompany their humans everywhere, such as stores, restaurants, or to the movies. Okay. They do not require any special training or certification, but are expected to behave properly. So in other words, you're going to have to have like a, a psychiatrist or a doctor, a health professional, somebody prescribe that uh, need for a support animal based on you know a diagnosable condition doesn't mean you can bring them in but i guess put simply they can go into a housing uh, dwelling you know under the fair housing act you know similar yeah. to any other discrimination so it should also have some sort of uh, obedience training don't you think so well yeah they should be able to like it says uh you know be able to behave in a, you know, properly in all settings. So they're expected to do that. So I would suppose if you do not have an animal that is behaving properly, that you could be challenged, you know, by somebody and uh, you could possibly maybe lose that, uh, lose yeah. that, uh, that ability. Um, now, Therapy dogs, like you said, they do go through training, okay, so that they can get into these places and do the right thing. But service dogs, now, you're a pro on that because you've had one. The dog you have now, not technically speaking, according to the law, would be like a uh, an emotional support animal, even though, you know, 
you don't need any sort of approval by anybody because you own your own residence and you're not in a complex that would say, Hey, you need to, you need to get that, uh, you know, certified, right? Right now he's being a bum way on the couch. <laughs> What's that? I didn't understand that. Right now, Tank is leaning on Bobby's laying on the couch. Tank is laying on the couch. Well, Galicia's not whining into the microphone and joining us like he does usually every day. Uh, now, here it says uh, there are many more types of service dogs than just guide dogs and hearing dogs. Okay. Now, here's what you probably knew already types of service dogs guide dog, hearing dog, mobility assistance dog. Seizure alert dog, hearing alert dog, diabetes alert dog, migraine alert dog. Very interesting. How do they know that? Narcolepsy alert dog, seizure response dog. So a seizure response dog would be different than a seizure alert dog that would alert you probably to a seizure. Psychiatric service dog, narcolepsy response dog. Autism response dog. So, how do they figure out that you're having a migraine? I suppose, I suppose um, I'm not sure. Maybe the human body throws out pheromones and they can smell that. Wow. I'm just, I, I don't, I'm not sure about that, but. Well, it has, it has to be because uh, if you've got, say, you've got a nar narcolepsy alert dog, and then you have a narcolepsy response dog. So I'm guessing that similar to the seizure alert and the seizure response, they have the ability to recognize and perhaps take proactive action or something of that nature. Fair statement, or yeah, I would, I would, I would say so. Um, do you do you think the same dog that the procedure procedure alert dog and the procedure? What was the other one? You think, you think that's, seizure uh, response. Seizure response. You think that, uh, can one dog do both? You think? Oh, I would suppose, yeah. Don't you? Don't you think? I think so too. Send the alert, and then also make a response if there's something that needed to be done. Make uh, in the same place. Yeah. So they don't hurt themselves. Yeah. Yep. Well, now that we've kind of clarified that and made it uh, as clear as mud for the audience, let's go ahead and get into this story about service dogs helping veterans and children. Okay. Right. <laughs> now, there's an organization out there that, as you know, um, you've kind of read it as well, called the Four, as in the number four. Four Paws for Ability organization. Kind of catchy, kind of creative, right? Four Paws. 
right. uh, aims to take the dis out of the word disability by pairing canines and humans who need a friendly and furry assist. I'll just kind of describe it and we can kind of go into uh, the strengths and the pros and, and all the good things that are, that are happening here. Uh, a nonprofit group that supports veterans and children with disabilities for Paws for Ability was highlighted this morning during an uplifting segment on Monday's Fox and Friends. Uh, this group's mission is to enrich the lives of people with disabilities by placing life-catching, life-changing, excuse me, service dogs worldwide. So they're placing service animals. Uh, one service dog at a time. This group also, quote, envisions a world where people with disabilities can realize their full potential. They had a gal on there. Her name is Kelly Cam. She is the development director for Four Paws. She's actually been around since 1998. And since 1998, they've placed well over 1,500 dogs in total. So, I mean, that's a lot of dogs. You know, that's over 60 dogs a year. I have never heard of the organization, but it looks like uh, this year alone, they placed well over 100 dogs uh, with those who so badly need them and greatly cherish them. So I, I would imagine that this year they've placed more perhaps because uh, maybe because of the environment we're in. Would that, do you think that might factor into it or? Or, I would think so. I would think so. Well, I think there's more depression uh, in the last couple of years uh, um, because of the COVID outbreak and, uh, you know, soldiers coming back from uh, Afghanistan. So. Yeah, I can see where there's always, always going to be a need out there. So, yeah, it certainly doesn't appear as if the need is going to go away or go down. In kind of just looking at the the industry itself, the people that need service dogs, you know, disabilities ranging from emotional to uh, to uh, birth defects to disease, uh, you know, every kind of disability that that there is. I think the awareness of using animals and dogs as a way to cope with disabilities is becoming more aware. Do you think that's a fair statement? Uh, I mean, kind of looking at the whole, um, you know, like mental health and emotional and dis and uh, depression is more coming to more aware the uh, service dogs as far as helping out with the disability community, uh, probably is becoming more, uh, maybe more aware by people who need them, by veterans, by veterans groups, by disability groups, by people who have disabilities. Yes, I do. I, I do believe, believe that and that's, a, that's a fair assumption, yes. Here's a tweet uh, that it shared here on Monday. Three years ago, we met the most amazing support that our family has ever received. Gracie has helped her boys in ways that are unexplainable. Through a second cancer diagnosis, a fourth open heart surgery, and all that goes with it, 
Gracie has been by their side every step of the way. And here's a picture of a very pretty, very gentle looking, very laid back looking black uh, mix of some kind on the couch with these two young boys who are probably, uh, oh, I'd say what, 10 and 13, something like that. Yeah, I would say so. Or pause is probably similar to a lot of other organizations out there that, that do this. Um, they detail six values for all who want to learn more and get involved in some way. Okay. Um, they have actually, the group has a website uh, for pause for ability. The organization, the organization says of its works, one, we make a lifetime commitment to ensure the well-being of every four paws dog we breed, train, and place. Number two, developing the skills of our team members helps attract and maintain the best available talent. Number three, we aim to maintain a large, dedicated, and well-trained volunteer base to support the success of every four paws dog. Number four, we offer lifetime support for our four paws families and commitment to making our service dogs available to those who qualify by placing dogs tailored to their unique individual needs. Number five, maintaining financial independence by being good stewards of our donor contributions enables our organization to make decisions in the best interest of our clients and the team members. And lastly, number six, we educate our clients and community on the appropriate use of service dogs and the differences between service dogs, therapy dogs, and emotional support animals, as well as other working dogs. If I, if I got this right, four paws is really aimed at service animals, I believe. Yes. Like. And so naturally people are going to uh, need to be educated about the difference between service dogs, therapy dogs, and emotional support animals. It, you know, I've learned a lot right there today already. Um, I knew an emotional support animal was a dog that was more or less not, I guess, strictly in the term, uh, trained or certified or whatever, but had to have more or less a justifiable diagnosis or a prescription or something that would authorize them to have that animal. A therapy dog yeah. being something that would have training might be titled or licensed that would go into schools, hospitals, things like that. And then of course, service dogs like what you had with Bo that would like perform certain tasks, if you will. I mean, remember, uh, remember that, uh, that daughter of that one gal that we had on, was it, uh, which one had the service dog? Was it, the uh, born without eyes 
Which one of them? One of them had a service dog that we. He had the service dog, and then we had that Mikey. He um, trains uh, Debbie, both Debbie dogs and, and you know, and I, think, and I think companion dogs, I think. So we had them on last year, I think it was during COVID. So, now, yeah, I, did he do, did, did he train service dogs? Do you know? Um, or was it just was like, or was it therapy and ESA? I was, yeah, I think it was just basically therapy dogs because he, um, oh, that's right, that's right, because of the he also did teaching, so he brought him into his classroom. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right, and so it really worked very well for him to get the dog that that he needed into the classroom to be used as a therapy dog for his class. But he's got to get permission from the school district. Pardon me? He still had to get permission from the school district that we... After he know. had it... Uh... No, before he brought him to the classroom, I, I, I suppose he had to get some permission from the school district. You know, because the dog... That was there, you know what I mean? So Yeah. I think a lot of these dogs that they're that they're placing now. Well, maybe they do more than service dogs because if they're providing an animal to a veteran who has PTSD, that necessarily wouldn't be a service dog per se, would it? Well then I don't know I I wouldn't see why, because it is performing a test, although it is, uh, you know, and they kind of give them calm and, you know, give them focus and stuff like that, so. Yeah, but now you're venturing outside of a service dog. Wouldn't that yeah. be, wouldn't that be a therapy dog? Well. Or an emotional support animal? Yeah, emotional support animal. That, that's where it would fit. Now there's a four paws, four paws dot org, and I think that might be a little bit different because it says they're headquartered. Uh, what did I say? I think they were headquartered in uh, in Ohio. Isn't that what I said? Four paws for ability. Here it is. Okay. Very nice, very nice facility. Oh, yes. Taking the dis out of disability. Four Paws for Ability is a nonprofit 501c3 organization whose mission is to place quality service dogs with children with disabilities and veterans who have lost use of limbs or hearing to educate the public regarding the use of service dogs in public places. So, yeah, they don't they don't go into the area of emotional support animals. It looks like they are strongly vested in the support animal uh, network uh, located in Ohio there. So, I mean, that's just a, just a phenomenal story here. It looks like the background of this organization Looks like way back in 1987, Brad. Can you see the screen here? Yep. You see this four paws website here? Yep. Okay. 
her name is Karen. Back in 1987, I was a carefree young woman going to school to become a social worker. In addition to my full class schedule, I worked full-time in the field of developmentally disabilities. Like most college students, I existed on little sleep and was always tired. Looking back on that time, it was easy for me to see the progression of the disease. But at the time, I shrugged off the symptoms, blaming them on my full schedule. Slammed by myasthenia gravis. You ever heard of that? Yes. All of that changed when difficulty breathing became respiratory arrest. From that day forward, I began life journey far different from the one I envisioned in those early years. The disease hit hard and fast, quickly robbed me of my meaningful life. Long hospital stays were heavy on my relationship with others, and all but my closest friends disappeared from my life. In 1994, which was uh, quite a few years later, she had been dealing what was diagnosed as myasthenia gravis, a rare neuromuscular disease for almost seven years. Treatment had not been effective and the disease hit again, robbing me of my will to live. A friend of mine tried to find an agency to place a service dog with me, but agency after agency turned us away. It seemed that these agencies with their long waiting lists had developed guidelines that often excluded those they deemed too disabled or not disabled enough. I spent much of my time, much of my life at that time, respirator dependent. The responses from the agencies were always the same. There were others who had more ability than I or others they felt their dogs would assist in reintegration into the community. Finally, one agency accepted my application and placed me on their waiting list. 18 months later, they called to tell me they had the match and they sent a woman out to see what tasks the dog would learn. Two weeks later, I received a letter in the mail. We are sorry, it said, but our agency guidelines prohibit the placement of service dogs with people who use ventilators. Why bother staying alive? Prior to the meeting, I had allowed myself to feel a little hope. It was exciting to think of a dog that could, at the very least, allow me to uh, allow me some time alone with the dog being able to accomplish many tasks being performed by my personal care assistants. In other words, I wouldn't need those as often. When that letter came, I gave up all hope. I'd often thought of ending my life. In fact, I had saved enough morphine to accomplish the task easily. When I looked at my life, all I could see was death, a long, slow death, with each day robbing me of some little pieces of ability I had the day before. I now refer to those times as the days of death. It saddens me that I lost such a large chunk of my life. I also see how lucky I was. I had a close friend who refused to watch me die. She dragged me from place to place, looking at puppies, trying desperately to get me to once more cling to life and find the courage to fight. I had no desire to get a puppy. I couldn't care for myself. How then could I train a puppy? I'm not sure what happened the wonderful day that my service dog entered my life. When I spotted him and he looked at me from the back of his pen, the magic began.
I took that 30 pound black bundle of her home and gave him the name Ben, my courage and friend. I did not jump right back into life, but with Ben supporting me, I inched closer and closer to life each day. As Ben grew, I faced new challenges. I learned quickly that very few agencies are willing to train an owned dog, an owned dog. Ben and I had been attending classes at the local dog training school, and he was quickly approaching the need for advanced service animal training. However, the club was helpful. Some of the volunteers worked with me, teaching me how to train the retrieval work. I applied to a dog training school in Columbus, Ohio, and they were willing to help. One of the student trainers worked with Ben and taught me to train him at home. And train we did. In 1996, I returned to work with Ben right at my side. With every day that passed, I gained more confidence in living with this disease. I know there is no cure, and I know my days are numbered. But with Ben, I begin living each day and every day and not missing a second. As I grow spiritually strong and look back on those days I first respiratory arrested, I found certain sadness there. Each night as I watched Ben sleeping at my feet, I wondered how many others there, how many others were there? who needed the same miracles that Ben offered me. I wondered how many others were turned away because they didn't fit the service dog agency's criteria. So initially she created Four Paws for Ability, Inc. with Ben at her side. He was there when I got the incorporation papers in the mail. He was there at the first board meeting. When I looked at those 12 people who would help me make my dream a reality. He was at my side when I went to Children's Hospital to tell a 12-year-old child who'd had a spinal stroke that left her paralyzed that she would not be turned away because she was a child. Four Paws grows daily. She's got some testimonials here. One child with autism is now safe from dangers he might face when he wanders because patches can track him within minutes. Um, she goes on to say, you know, some other things, but, uh, but, Quite a story. What do you think of that story, Brad, as far as the background on that organization and Karen? Well, I liked it. It was very interesting. So, yep. So, yeah. She has a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, she, she almost gave up, but she didn't do it. It's amazing what animals can do. Well, that not that disease is a neurological disease, which again seems to fit into the arena of the MS and the muscular dystrophy and the ALS. You know, in some way, being a neurological disease disorder. Mm -hmm. Kind of in the same building, aren't they? Yeah, I Just different, I like different booths at the same trade show. Right. Yep. Um, yep. Sounds like she actually expanded to other countries. Ended up in Haiti. Let's see. Oh, she wanted to adopt a child. Got him in Bulgaria. They told me Bulgaria would not allow me a baby reference because of my disability. They explained that the only reason they gave Aaron to me, her first 
One was that my condition is that they felt no one else would want him. Uh, so she went uh, and ended up and got Elijah uh, in uh, in Haiti. Uh, I think this uh, I think this this woman would be an excellent uh, podcast uh, candidate, don't you? Yes. Do you think we do you think we should reach out to her? Yeah, I am. Uh, okay. I think that would be an excellent. Uh, it looks like she has several kids that she has adopted that are challenged. Okay, today my older kids are grown. Aaron, Nurlandi. And Isaiah have their own homes and their own lives. Elijah, however, has autism, severe ADHD, and mental health issues. Living and learning with him every day has given me a whole new perspective on our family's lives. Nobody understands more than I do of the struggles they face every day. The looks from people in stores when their child is throwing things off the shelf. The frustration of having an almost adult child who needs supervision 24-7. The cameras throughout the house. The endless IEP meetings and calls from teachers, watching their kids, and fully understanding they have no friends as your heart breaks for them. It has renewed my conviction in how important it is to bring a service dog into homes like mine, to ease a parent's heart a little, and to help a family cope. There is no question that service dogs change the lives of our partners, of their partners, and with the child placement, they change families too. You know, what we might want to do is instead of emailing or just giving them a call and seeing what the odds are of uh, speaking with the, the founder. Yeah, we can do that. And I, I think not only with this podcast, but if we can get her on, what it might offer insight maybe to, to others who haven't even thought about getting a service dog in the past. Maybe yeah. they, you know, maybe they will be inspired to maybe look into getting a service dog or an emotional support animal or a therapy dog. I know when I got mine, it was the best thing for me at the time. Well, and, and, and what is the awareness in the disability community? of the availability of dogs, you know? I mean, is it something widespread or perhaps people will will learn something? I, I, think, uh, I think we should try to get it on. I'm gonna go ahead and try to, try to uh, play this and see if it actually works here. I grew up military. My dad was in the army for 20 years. My parents uh, retired from the military, moved to Ohio. So I followed them and finished my degree at Wright State. Um, during the time I was finishing my degree, um, I developed a shortness of breath and actually subsequently diagnosed with muscular dystrophy. It affects my diaphragm and my breathing. At that time, I became very disabled, unable to really do anything in life, was kind of spending more time in the hospital than I actually was spending at home. Became very depressed. Um, wasn't sure where my life was gonna go or if it was even gonna go anywhere. At that time, somebody had suggested I get a service dog. 
And I tried, I tried for two years to get a service dog from an agency and I couldn't figure out why they were turning me down. At that point, uh, my only option was to give up or to try to um, find another way to get a service dog, which is what happened. So muscular dystrophy took away pretty much everything from me and Ben, my service dog, pretty much gave everything back to me. And after getting him and, and training with him, I began to wonder about how many people were turned down like I was. Like how many people wanted a service dog and people wrote them off like that. And the more I thought about it, the more I, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And so Four Plus for Ability was founded in 1998 with um, my service dog, Ben, by my side. Things started rolling. I, I got together a board of directors. We set a mission for Four Paws. The thing I found out early on was that if there were a lot of people like me, they gave up. They didn't keep looking because although I was willing to work with these people, none of them were coming to me. What I did find out really quickly was that no service dog agency in the United States would place a fully working service dog with a child. And their whole premise was that children couldn't handle the dog. A child that can't push their wheelchair uses a wheelchair. A child that can't make an electric wheelchair go has a little joystick on the back for the parents. It's not like a medical device can't be controlled by somebody else. So we developed the three unit team in the United States and the parent is the handler and the, the child is the dog's partner, and they work as a three-unit team. So when my website said, we will help people that others are turning away, it was parents that came to me. Initially, I thought, you know, our placements would be local, but because there was nobody placing with children, we had people from everywhere approaching us. We have dogs now in every state except one, which is South Dakota. And I think maybe because their population is so small. But then we started to get requests from, from even further away. And we made our first outside of the United States placements in Canada. This place and this legacy is the most amazing thing that could ever have happened to me. I love telling people about Four Paws. I love bringing Four Paws magic to other people. Um, and my favorite thing to do is to go to graduation because our first graduations were like two or three dogs and just, just the family members that came. And now our graduations are huge. This room is stuffed full of people that touched that dog's life during his journey from being born to uh, graduating as a service dog. So it's really, really cool that something that started in a itty bitty town in Ohio is, is so known worldwide. To have a dream that goes to that extent, if I died tomorrow, my, my life is complete. It's just fantastic. Hey, couldn't hear that, Brad, of course, um, but... Yeah I, yeah, I could. I could hear it. Oh, you could? 
We can hear it, yeah. We can hear it. Okay. Well, hopefully it did record. Uh, if not, then uh, I will play the video um, after we're done here in my in my program and uh, and dub it into the uh, into the podcast. So one way or another, we will get that on there. But that that's a fantastic story. Now, pretty interesting that no organization in the U.S. would place a service dog with a child. Yeah, that's surprising. That is surprising. Because they say, well, a child can't handle the dog. Well, most children aren't living by themselves last time I checked. And I'm surprised that a service dog outfit would be so narrow-minded, so short-sighted as that. It seems like a no-brainer that Karen says, hey, like a child that is in a wheelchair that can't move the wheelchair doesn't mean that somebody's not pushing it. Somebody that's in a power chair, those p- power chairs have a joystick in the back so the parent can control it. So they made it as a three-person team. Mm-hmm. The parent, the child, and the dog. Uh, it would be interesting to know if there is any other organizations that provide service dogs to children now that it doesn't say when she started to uh, provide them to children, but I believe that it's been quite a long time because once again, I think uh, didn't this start? Yeah. 1998. So definitely a great story. It would be definitely nice to have uh, Karen on our story on our podcast. Um, do you have anything else to add as far as uh, what you would encourage people to do or how people can get in touch with somebody that knows somebody that might know something about service dogs or, I mean, who it might help or anything of that nature? Remember, animals are the man's best friend. So, so as far as I'm concerned, animals can help anybody. They can... Uh, Make a more of a brighter day for them, or you know, for the person. Uh, not a handicapped or handicapped, it doesn't matter. They all, the dogs are there for a purpose, and that's to make a, a brighter day for the for their owners or whoever they they're around. They, they always bring the best. Uh, seems like they always bring the best out of. Out, out of a person, so that's what's cool about any animal, dogs, cats, pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, they got a dual purpose. They do, they, they do their what they're supposed to do, plus they're 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 still a, a dog, you know. Or mm-hmm. Cool, so they have two purposes. At least I found that out with, with my dog. Well, that certainly is inspiring. Mm-hmm. Probably would encourage anybody to, to reach out to, to Brad if they have any questions, you know, based on that. Uh, his number is area code 701-252-8560. Uh, you can refer back to the podcast and go ahead and grab that number again. Once again, one, once again it's 701 
In fact, you could also uh, you could also contact us here at Roller Ramp, and we could put you in touch with Brad. Our number is toll free in the United States: one eight six six eight eight three four seven two two. You could also email um, either sales at rollaramp.com, marketing at rollaramp.com, which is R-O-L-L-A-R-A-M-P, all one word, dot com, or Brad's personal email, which I believe is B as in boy, G as in girl, for Brad Gabrielson. So B-G, the word Marlboro, M-A-R-L-B-O-R-O, B-G, Marlboro, at Gmail. Dot com. So uh, Brad doesn't bite either. So reach out to him, call him. Um, like I said, he, like he said, I mean, he started a, the dog school, the first dog school in North Dakota. Uh, the only service school uh, for service dogs that uh, is in Judd, North Dakota and did that for many years. He has, has had a service dog himself. So he's got intimate and personal knowledge about how they work, how to get them you know, probably is a resource about maybe where to reach out and uh, to locate such a, such an animal or a service. So uh, any closing thoughts, Brad, that you have before you sign us off today or. I think it was a pretty good, I think it was a wonderful podcast. Very informative. Um, a lot of great information. Bob is a very interesting person. I've, Hopefully we can, uh, I'd like to talk to her in person. I'd like to do a podcast with her. I think it would be an excellent podcast if we can, uh, if we can get, the, uh, get her to agree to it. Um, it was been a very, this is one of the interesting articles here, so. Yeah, it definitely is a uh, is an interesting organization here. They have definitely grown uh, since their days in 1998. So anyway, Brad, why don't you do the honors? Thank you for listening to another episode of Living with a Disability, No Big Deal podcast. My name is Brad Gamerson, and Greg Ball, thank you for... Being here today, Greg, and uh, thank you all for listening, and God bless. Thank you for listening to this episode of Living with a Disability, No Big Deal. Sponsored by Rollaramp, this podcast features Brad Gabrielson, who encourages everyone with a disability to live life to the fullest. Rollaramp is a global company based in North Dakota dedicated to helping people find solutions to accessibility needs. We hope you'll join us again next time on Living with a Disability, No Big Deal.